Hello, beautiful people. My new play, Sheila and Moby, opens October 27th at Flying V Theater, directed by Courtney Lane Self. When Sheila, a successful young businesswoman, returns to her hometown, she is immediately swept into a tale of intrigue, suspicion, and adventure involving a six-year-old neighbor girl's missing stuffed animal. Sheila reluctantly enlists the aid of her own childhood stuffed animal, an Iberian lynx named Moby, to solve the case. Sheila and Moby bears more than a striking resemblance to a comic strip you may love, one that ran from, say, 1985 to 1995 and was also about a six-year-old child and their stuffed feline. Maybe. Sheila and Moby, by me, Patrick Flynn, and directed by Courtney Lane Self, opening October 27th at Flying V Theater. Visit flyingvtheater.com for tickets and performance information. Before we get started, I need to thank another Patreon patron. Thank you, Tia Shearer Bassett. Tia is a great friend and a great artist, and she is also someone I support on Patreon. She's there under Theater Wolf doing entertainment for children, and I think you should absolutely check it out and support her page. She is a remarkable person and does wonderful art, and we are very lucky to have her in our world. Thank you, Tia. Want to get thanked on the air? Just go to patreon.com slash originalcastpod and sing out a happy song to the original cast. There are a few tiers of patronage, but they all come with access to our bonus monthly podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. Our pilot episode on Moulin Rouge is available on this feed so you can sample before you buy. September's movie is Newsies, featuring James Finley and Tia Shira Bassett talking about Christian Bale dancing. What, what more do you want? Again, patreon.com slash originalcastpod. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. With Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a performer who can currently be seen in Sheila and Moby at Flying V Theater. Visit flyingvtheater.com for tickets and performance information. It's Robin Raccoon, everybody! Hello. Hi, Robin. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing well. Good. Yeah. All right. So we're going to do this again. Because it warrants doing it again. Because you're here to talk about Rent. We're not gonna pay. We're not gonna pay. We're not gonna pay. Last year's rent. This year's rent. Next year's rent. Rent, 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 rent. We're not gonna pay rent. Cause everything is <laughs> she didn't forget i didn't forget. <laughs> how can you forget rent yes rent so we've done rent rent once before and I, I was told by someone sitting in this room that uh someone else said we thought we should do it again because we spent the whole time bashing it the first time uh which may or may not be true <laughs> i'll let you decide i'm not gonna you the listener decide i'm not gonna vigorously deny anything that'll more sound like the truth but um we're gonna talk about rent how did uh rent come into your life um rent came into my life i actually had an older cousin ha still have her mm -hmm. <clears throat> in my life amy who's from new york and we went to go visit her i grew up in santa fe new mexico so we were visiting her in new york and she was obsessed she had just seen it and she was obsessed with it and she was singing the songs and so i asked my parents if we could go see it and I had to wait a whole year before I could right. see it, be, like for our next New York trip. Right. 
And I think I must have been 11 or 12 years old, and my whole family went. Uh, my younger sister, who was probably nine at the time, and my mom and dad and I, and I just remember being riveted. We had really good seats, mm. like in the middle section, pretty close. In the orchestra. And it was also, yep, uh, I think w- my first Broadway musical I ever saw. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So the trip to New York wasn't like a regular No, thing. no. My dad I mean, grew a big up trip. in New York. Oh, yeah. okay. So he would go a lot, but it wasn't until later on when, when he would start bringing either my sister or I, but this was a big New mm-hmm. York family trip. Okay. So. All right. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's it's rent for crying out loud. I mean, your your older cousin who was obsessed was in excellent company mm-hmm. uh, with everyone. I would say I think it's fair to say that it, it was. It's it's. I used to say it's hard to understand. It is now no longer hard to understand because of Hamilton. To say like you remember, you know Hamilton. This was that. This right. was like everybody. I mean, I was sixteen when it came out. Everybody in theater from the age of of like. 10 to 20 was obsessed with this show. It was unlike anything we'd ever heard before. Mm -hmm. It was huge and massive and yet intimate. And, you know, there's emotion in every single stanza. (laughs) And, and when you have, you know, when you're 10 to 20 emotions are great, you can access them readily and want to. So yeah, it Mm -hmm. was, I, I, um, I didn't see it in its original run, but it was, um, I mean, it ran for 12 years, for crying out loud. Yeah. But uh, it was, you know, it's it was a phenomenon. It was an absolute phenomenon. And still kind of is. Is it? You know, I'm not too familiar with musical theater. It's well, still a thing. I mean, it's still like, even even if people aren't doing it, even if you can't see it, but yeah. like, it's still, it's Rent. Like, everybody knows Rent. Everybody has an opinion on Rent. Everybody right. Right, has heard Rent. Right. And I wonder, you know, like, why? And for me, what what drew me in was the... Definitely the characters, so many different kinds of characters representing all these different people in life, Mm -hmm. some that I had never seen before, Um, and also the relationships, just different iterations of relationships and the communication. I mean, what Mm -hmm. what stood out to me, you know, if you look at like Tom Collins and Angel characters, right, immediately in their first conversation, uh, Angel tells Tom that she has AIDS. Right. And then Mimi and Roger are just lying to each other pretty much the whole show. Right. And you see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. And that was a big thing for me. I think, And mm. looking back at it, mm-hmm. now is kind of... I, I don't think I understood it then when I was watching it. I think I was just on riding the wave. Okay. You know what I mean? Of the show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, la- I was laughing. I was crying. It was, I, I was sitting next to my father, like, crying, trying to hide my tears. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um... And also not the only one in the theater, I'm Probably sure. Probably not. And Sobbing, I, yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if he, you know, I don't remember what his experience was of it, but it would be interesting to ask. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, <laughs> he's a financial advisor. Ah, so. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, yeah, my parents' reaction to it was fairly skeptical. Um, just from the description of the plot, I remember telling my dad, I think I told this story the last time, but I remember describing the plot to my dad and being like, and this is so-and-so, and he has AIDS, and this is so-and-so, and she has AIDS, and this is, and him being like, that's a lot of people. Like, just, mm-hmm. and I was like, I, yeah, I guess so when you say it all in a rush like that, but it, yeah, I don't know, I don't know about, I've said this before, I don't know what the stats were, but it doesn't feel 
inorganic for i mean the show opened in 96 takes place probably in like 93 90 it takes place early, early I mean, 90s, a couple years yeah. earlier yeah um late enough where that azt is a thing right. that you can get and everyone knows what it is but not you know it, it's still aids is still a death sentence at the, the time of this show right. ostensibly right um and yeah and then was this also the first rock like, no well so the, the that's a really hard question to ask okay it it I'm going to I'm going to make a statement and you all just sit down, okay? Cuz I I feel so I can and you know who you are. Just hold on for a minute here cuz I'm going to say something and I'm going to get several well actuallys on Twitter and that's fine. You're welcome to do that. This is a conversation. But this is the first 90s rock musical. Okay. By my estimation. Yeah, go ahead, prove me wrong. I don't care. Um <laughs> Tommy doesn't count. Don't come at me with that crap. It, it's the first one where the music felt like I could hear it on the radio. I remember specifically thinking the song What You Own could have been some kind of power ballad from whoever, mm-hmm. Everclear, who was performing in 96. Right. And uh, that it wouldn't be out of place. Like you could hear that. I, I remember thinking like this could be on the radio and I wouldn't even necessarily know except for the sort of earnest performances of, of Anthony Rapp and um, Adam Pascal, you wouldn't necessarily think it was, it was just, it'd be just like a rock duo, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's produced, the recording's produced that way too. You're living in America At the end of the millennium You're living in America Leave your conscience at the tone And when you're living in America At the end of the I mean, it's not the first rock musical. You know, you have Hair, obviously, right. way back, and you have Two Gentlemen of Verona, and you have a lot of musicals that use contemporary that. rock music in. And of course, I mean, you have rock influence in Broadway since the 60s, on Bye Bye Birdie, for crying out loud, which okay. purports to be a rock musical. It, certainly, I mean, and certainly the Conrad Birdie numbers wouldn't have been out of place in a late 50s, you know white rock certainly not like right <laughs> nothing okay. hardcore but you know it, it's sort of a marriage of boy band i think of like teen idol and and pop rock uh so no it's not the first rock musical but it is i do remember thinking like this feels like and like a genuine rock musical not like bye bye birdie right which is a musical with some numbers in it that have electric guitar on top right of them. like this is a real rock score and it yeah. felt yeah and it felt that way in in the flow of it too I don't remember scenes happening outside of the music. I it felt all yeah. woven together, and maybe that's something again that that you see regularly in musicals. <laughs> but you see it in good musicals. I think would be. I mean, it's a form. It it it's the the thing. I mean, I, when I say good, God, I'm gonna get so many tweets. When I say good musicals, I mean <laughs> musicals that I enjoy. Yeah. Um, where the book. Uh, Inner, inner and the score intertwine where they become kind of indistinguishable from them and since you know the songs are so you whistle the music you don't whistle the book right. you kind of come out going oh like I don't remember the scenes because they're intertwined so deeply into the into right. the actual structure right. um, and that's yeah again Rent didn't I don't think Rent invented anything mm-hmm. 
necessarily, but what it was, it really is. And just like Hamilton and more in the Heights, I think you can draw a straight line from rent to in the Heights. It's a integration of musical theater tropes, but with modern music. Mm -hmm. So like that idea of integrating the book and the score, that's not new, Mm -hmm. but it never been done with this before, with this music before. And with this, you know, this sort of, it's also a contemporary story you know, like hair was. It is, it's about what's happening, theoretically, what's happening right now. Right. And so it feels, and the music being what's happening right now, it still, it feels even more immediate. Right. And I'm sure, like, flying into New York as a 13-year-old. Yeah. And, like, getting, like, and there's that, there's early 90s New York, mid 90s New York, and then, like, going into the theater, and there's midnight, what's, like, not happening right outside the theater but like you as a kid you would feel that like oh right. it's happening here it's like this is new york this and then that's new yeah. york and like it's all yeah it's all that's happening great observation yeah yeah definitely and then i ended up living in alphabet city did you when i moved to new york yeah now what what's where where are we decade wise well so when i moved to new york yeah. was 2009 okay so okay no but so i'm trying to imagine Alphabet City is a tricky section. Right. Well, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. When I started going going to New York regularly, which would have been around 2000, um, Alphabet City was, uh, I can't remember what the A stood for. This is what you were told. Because I was spending a lot of time in East Village and I was told Alphabet City is, I don't remember what A, adve- it was adventurous, brave, careless, dead. Like that's what the four A B C D understood for, um, so like you we went to Alphabet City, but not alone and not late and not right. we didn't go too close to the river. Like it was a real, mm-hmm. it was still a place that had that. It was one of the the it was it was still a place in New York that was dangerous in Manhattan mm-hmm. that you just didn't go to. Right. Um, last time I was in New York, I visited friends of mine who are living in Alphabet City, mm-hmm. and it is it is a very nice clean squeaky place right now at least the parts that i was in mm-hmm. um so it's it's and but it's very different then so it probably would have been on was it on the up or on yeah like, so i was on avenue a and 11th okay like right on the corner sure and i think i was right in between there because if you if i went down and over to like b or c mm-hmm. kind of and uh further south than ninth street i would start to feel that griminess and that mm-hmm. but i loved it down there it was quieter and it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. It and, still is that. It's still you know, very residential and, and just a yeah. lot of apartment buildings. and. But I know what you mean. And somebody was just telling me that there's a bunch of new coffee shops right there mm-hmm. on Avenue A and that it's changed a lot. In the... Now, the, the, the problem, I think, starts with the tragedy. Mm-hmm. of How much of the... We're also, by the way, we're going to skip the plot summary because we've done the show once before. It's always yeah, my sure. policy to skip the plot summary. Um you can readily look up the. Pl- it's also a big plot summary, like there's a lot of plot in this in this show, but uh, so we're gonna whiz over that. But the thing we can't whiz over, and I'm interested to know how much of this you knew when you went to see it, which is the tragedy at the heart of Rent, which is the fact that its author died okay. before its off Broadway opening. Off That's Broadway. what it was. It's off Broadway okay. opening. Okay. He did his la- first and last newspaper interview with the New York Times. Oh. And then died on the 25th. Oh. And one of the things that is talked about with this show from a writing standpoint is the everyone at that point made the decision that the show was locked. The decision was made. 
not to touch a note, not to touch a word. Like this is wow. what it is. And the show is is locked. Okay. And that is where a lot of my issues with it seem to stem from because a lot of the problems I have with it I feel like would have gotten fixed in an on because what you what he would have done if had he lived is they would have opened off Broadway it would have run it was a hit obviously it would have mm-hmm. been a hit um they would have worked it during the run a little bit but mm-hmm. then with the Broadway transfer they would have closed it and they would have gone back and rewritten I think big chunks of it and then worked on it during Broadway previews and then opened it and it would have been a tighter it's a really really great draft of a show. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it feels like to me. Like it's mm-hmm. a fantastic draft and right. it just needs a little bit more. But like a, obviously a producible draft. I'm not, you know, they're ready to open off Broadway with it. No right. no fault. But if you look at shows like Next to Normal, how that opened off Broadway mm-hmm. and where that was when it opened on Broadway, it's even Hamilton opening night off Broadway, opening night on Broadway. It, there there's songs cut, changed, moved, moments like that's the nature of the right. beast. Right. Um you yeah. and I are going through that right now. It is just the process of writing a show, and they right. didn't have that opportunity. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I never so thought did of you, that. Well, when you were going back to when you were 12, 13, yeah. were you aware of any of that? Not at all. Not at all. Okay. No, not at all. I mean, I wanted to see it because my older, cooler cousin right. you know, was into it. And then when I saw it, I was so moved by it. That that's where that's where my love you know, uh-huh. kind of started. So it comes purely from from what it is from the experience. But that's also, I mean, not twelve, thirteen, eleven, twelve. So I wasn't even oh, okay. in my, you know, I think it was they were really formative years. That, sure. uh, but it 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 begs a really interesting question, um, and something that I'm that you are probably more aware of as a writer, and and makes me wonder like what if that had been your show what if you how would you have felt if something of yours was on off-broadway well i guess you don't know how you feel after you die but (laughs) like if you would want people to put that's a good question (sighs) because i mean we can get dark for a second and say that like if i die now Mm -hmm. before sheila and moby opens Mm -hmm. I, I think knowing the creative group we have, the script would just be locked. Like that would just be the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a play. Right. And I'm the only... Now, the, the difference being with Rent, though, that this is a musical with one author, which is so rare. There isn't even a book author to like go, when you guys were alone and talking about this, w- like could we rewrite this lyrical... Pat- like could you rewrite these lyrics? Right. You can't even do that. Like there's no one else. But I... Okay, wait. So I thought somebody else helped him write the book. There is... The, un- credited with... Um, Billy Aronson. Yes, who got credited with... Ultimate, yes, it was he, he was the original. The oh, right, who like brought the who, idea? Who, he was it was his idea to make a modern musical version of La Boheme, right? He met Larson, they began collaborating on it together. Um, and then he they made an agreement, they split, right? Like, I think I don't know if Aronson lost 
Yeah, I think he lost interest. They lost interest, and, and Larson wanted Larson to take it. Larson said to take it, and they right. they split on the agreement that if the show went to Broadway, he would share in the proceeds and be given a credit for an original concept and additional lyrics. Okay. He did help write the song Santa Fe. We know that that's the okay. one of the songs that made it from like the late late '80s all the way to the Broadway production. That song survives, and he helped write that in okay. some capacity. Yeah. Um, it is, but he wasn't involved anymore. Mm-hmm. He had been out of the show for. Like six years at that point, right? That also makes me question. You know, it it, it won all these awards, including the Pulitzer Prize. And yeah. did that have anything to do with well, that's since you know, <laughs> yes, that is, and 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 that brings up like the whole American culture and how we rarely value artists while they're still alive. Very true. Um, That's a very, very, oh my gosh, yes. Well, I think it's twofold. It's twofold with any artist. I think we love narratives uh in our artists, and you can't have a narrative without an ending. And then once you have an ending, Mm. you can go back and rewrite all the other moments that led up to the ending. And that's like, oh, all these moments actually connect to this. Like, there's our end. Great. Now I can I can form an arc of this artist's uh-huh. life. I know where this painting fits in that arc or this work fits in that arc. This is late middle. This is early middle. Like, all that. Mm-hmm. We can suddenly comprehend it as a body of work. Right. Whereas when the artist is alive and still producing. I mean, it's why I think people w- wish more writers, filmmakers, playwrights would retire. So then at least you could start that. <laughs> like, oh, we can start the death the death march before they're dead. This is fantastic. Right. Um. Uh-huh. It's a little easier with musicians, I think. We can kind of like, before they die, you can start to be like, this This was their period of golden achievement. And they're still putting out work, but we don't really well, talk they're, about that. Well, but they're so much in the more in the public eye, too, yes. than writers or right. painters. Or... Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So that is, you're certainly right. But I think the yeah. other part of it is, you brought up the excellent point, that how much does the writing matter? Right. And that is the point. Theoretically, it is purely a writing award. It is just the writing that is all we care about. However, we don't, we're not machines. Right. We don't live in a vacuum. And one of the things like uh, about awards is that awards really represent what is most popular slash revered right now. Mm -hmm. Like today. Mm -hmm. The only true test of any art's value is time. And like, there's nothing more immediate than award ceremony. So, like, right. <laughs> especially right. when people are opening, you know, like the the Tony's date cutoff date is April 25th. You will see mm-hmm. a lot of shows open April 1st. Like, you want to be new and hot and in the papers when the nominations committee is considering what's going on. Mm-hmm. You want like movies. You your great movies open October, November, December. Your terrible ones open in January and February because it's for, it's furthest away from the Academy consideration. We don't want to waste their time marketing, marketing a movie that's never going to get any Oscar nominations anyway. Hmm. There is a strategy to this. There is a right. proximity to this. And right. it cannot be discounted that the tragic story surrounding the writing of Rent mm-hmm. and its tremendously contemporary story played into its success in awards of all shapes and sizes mm-hmm. now one of the rules for the pulitzer i mean the pulitzer is purely for american authors um and one of the reasons i knew hamilton was going to win a pulitzer prize is because it's also theoretically supposed to be about a work that is about america in some capacity ren is a hundred percent that american, it is right. about america it is right. a, written by an american about america about a state of american life and a state of american life right now pulitzer loves that Shows that are about what is happening right now in America. 
and you can see it on stage. Right. Um, so, and all of the you know Pulitzer Prize winning musicals, with the exception of Sunday in the Park with George, which is my favorite musical ever, so I don't care. But like Chorus Line, Next to Normal, Hamilton, uh, let's just do them all. Of the I Sing, Fiorello, uh, South Pacific, and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Uh, yes, are all about America right now. They are all contemporary stories about America right now and done in very, very, you know, obviously very good. The Pulitzer is the thing that always tugs at me about this show. Because like I say, I have, I, I think there are, you can listen to the earlier podcast for a litany, but there are, there are issues with like, like for example, a good one, and I'll be interested to know what 11, 12, 13 year old Robin thought about this, is its treatment of drug use Mm-hmm. is very cursory. What do you mean? I mean, the mo- and also I have to be very careful here because <clears throat> I, I have to make sure that I'm not using examples from the film, which I don't know if you've seen the film. No. Don't. Uh, mm-hmm. It's horrifying. No. But the, uh, so this is worse in the film and I want to make sure I'm talking about the show specifically. Mm-hmm. But like, well, as Mimi's and Roger's heroin use. Right. Is bad in the musical ultimately Mm -hmm. is bad Mm -hmm. there are the big scene problem again this is worse in the film and i understand this kids uh when mimi with uh like um out tonight and no day but today the conflation of those two ideas Mm -hmm. like roger's point during out tonight or his response when he's like excuse me if i'm off track but if you're so wise then tell me why do you Take your needle, take your fancy prayer Don't forget, get the moonlight out of your hair Long ago your mother lit up my heart But the fire's dead, ain't never ever gonna start He's very on point But like then, no day but today comes in Sort of, and you could see the movie does this directly, but the musical kind of is making the point that like Mimi's right, you should go out. And while she is right, Roger's val- counterpoint to that being like, you want to go out and do drugs. Mm-hmm. I don't do drugs anymore. He's he's right, mm-hmm. and that's an interesting fight. But the musical seems to be taking her side in that moment. Now, ultimately, obviously, the drug dealer's a bad guy. Right. They get Mimi off drugs. She goes back on. Like, that's a huge drug. I'm not saying the, the movie glorifies drug use. Right. Excuse me. The musical the show, glorifies yeah. drug use. 
But it it has moments like that, again, of underwriting, where I feel like somebody would have been like, you know, in that moment, we don't mean to do this and we're doing this. Right. We should probably fix that. Right. And it would have, I think it's a moment that would have gotten fixed. Yeah. Later. But it that happens like that that's the the clearest moment of it. But there's there's a in a very nineties way, a glorification or at least an acceptance that some that like a certain amount of drug use is part of the lifestyle that we're mm-hmm. living here. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the show intends that, but it it's there. Right. Well, I I'm well, so what's do you, do you want me to answer the question but, of what? Uh, what whatever thought comes to your head about that? Um I think that that's not um I think that drug use being viewed as a as a part of the artist's lifestyle mm-hmm. is not just in rent. I oh, think sure. it was, it, right. But that it didn't st- I never wa- I didn't watch the show or listen to it and think about the negative aspects of drug use actually um yes the the death and disease that were passed around you know mm-hmm. b- by or through the use of needles certainly made me stay off of heroin uh <laughs> like i never tried it neither did i um but that's not I don't feel like it made me condone the use of drugs, nor I don't know. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of judgment and and talking about the two opposed ideas of no day but today and you know like let's kind of grow up you know like light my candle is mm-hmm. is like that's I think mm-hmm. that's the the conversation is immediately in that you yeah. know mm-hmm. um, that it's it's important to have both of those because you can live no day but today and not be a drug user. And well, and I think that's another thing that trips me out about Rent is like it was a, a modern version of La Boheme, mm-hmm. right? Which which was taken from a series of stories that were written in France in the 1800s. Right. And then it, when I think about it today, it's still like there's still gentrification happening. There's still... Yeah artists being pushed out and um, different kinds of illnesses being passed around mm-hmm. and different stigmas happening. And it just doesn't, you know, the conversation, it, it's not old, but it can be deemed as dated. Right. Right. It's very 90s. I mean, this show is right. aesthetic wise, aesthetic wise and, and all that. Yeah. Right. But story wise and emotionally, right. it okay. resonates through the through the ages. I think. Because, you know, like you say, it's based on, which is based on, which is based on, right. which is tale as old as time. Artists struggling to survive and figure out. And, and the communities and that they're in. The community that they're in. Mm-hmm. And the general struggle with what is, what is an accept, what is acceptable behavior for an artist, which is really what this show wants to be about, I think. Huh. I feel that like, and it's where the show really falls apart in a lot of ways <laughs> is with this struggle. But like. Mm. I I come back to it because I think it's my favorite song of the show, What You Own, as a finale. But it has that, like, it's also where Mark quits the job he has. He has a job as a filmmaker Uh working for, I mean, what is a base, what would have been at the time. um, These shows were all over the place at the time. They're now sort of what we call 24 hour news, but there were these, like, salacious news magazine, current affair. That was the big one. 
at the oh. time. That's the one I'm trying to think of, a current right. affair, that were all just like, they were basically TMZ with a little more news production value on top of them. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just like cell phone videos. It was like, it was produced like a news story, but it was gossip, right? sleazy television. And, you know, Mark goes to work for this thing because he's a good cameraman and they like him. And he has a job and he decides to quit his job to have his film. And Roger decides to return to New York after leaving so like two weeks in Santa Fe. Then he comes back or something. Um, and it, But it is that idea of like you can't be a sellout. Like that's all, that's in this show all over the place. Right. It's like you can't sell out. Don't sell out. Don't oh, do the thing. Point. Yeah. And mm -hmm. but. So that's fine. You can have that. And that's in Bohem. I mean, that's all over the place. Like, I mean, the the the, the big thing in Bohem where they're burning their paintings to just stay warm. I mean, is like, you know, they try to do that oh, with screenplays God. and posters in the opening number and it doesn't work, but whatever. It's a reference to Bohem. Right. I'll, okay. I'll let it go. Right. Um, I'm trying not to sound like a benevolent asshole in these like comments, but it's, it's, it's hard. <laughs> uh, but so that idea of what is acceptable behavior for an artist is a struggle that we live with every single day where are you still an artist if you work for a current affair? Are you still a filmmaker if you work for a current affair? I think where we are now is a lot more of like, yes, you need to eat. Like, the you're sort of expected to have a job and do your art at the same time, which is its own oh my mess of a problem, especially if you're working in something like theater or film where like it takes so much time. Mm -hmm. Like, just full, like you know it's not like you're writing your novel in your off hours you have to like coordinate with a bunch of other people get together and shoot and rehearse and perform yes. something like it's a mess yes. to do have a full-time job and be a performer especially in a city like dc and, where yeah but and if you have a family and if you have i mean a that's a whole nother thing oh right like, a family that thing i have <laughs> you yeah, kept pointing at me i'm like what what you have a beard what <laughs> um a family yeah that thing we're surrounded by like my kids gear here yeah um yeah, it's true. You can't you can't really do all those things. And Rent certainly takes the idealistic 90s flashback from the 60s vibe of right. like, nope, you're an artist, you do art, and everyone should just let you do your thing. You shouldn't have to like the the other problem becomes you shouldn't have to you pay rent. Have to pay rent. <laughs> what are you talking about? If you say, "I'm not going to pay rent," then your landlord should just be like, "Oh, Good point. Right. Didn't think about that. Right. Good job. Yeah, and that's such a... <laughs> oh my gosh, Benny, which oh. is a, like a character that I feel like I wouldn't have ever talked about until this point I in know, my right? life. Because he's such a... And we, you hit by, 30 and you're like, wait, wait a minute. what about Benny? What's like, wrong? Why are you all so mad at Benny? I like, know, Benny, dude. <laughs> Benny's he's, got a girlfriend? Like, you don't like her, but whatever. And like, he owns the building you live in. Yeah. Let's talk about being more collaborative and more, you know, right. like with Benny. Yeah. <laughs> like Benny's got money. Like give Benny, make it a business proposition to Benny. Be like, hey, Benny. Right. You know what, buddy? <laughs> if we did X, Y, and Z and you let us live here for free. Then, then that's we'll a thing. This, this yeah. is also before, I believe, there were like now there are all these deals with buildings of like, you know, if you dedicate X amount of space to, to artistic, public artistic space, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. If you dedicate this much to low income housing, yada, yada, you get a break on the whatever. This is the, the beginning of all that. They're like the Clintons, real, the administration really was the beginning of that. Like, you know, it'd be a good idea if like people lived places, right? But the, the idea in this is just basically like, listen, homeless people live in that lot. That's a lot of homeless people and we like it. 
Yeah. We that's that's part of our bohemian lifestyle. Or the mm-hmm. homeless people next door do not leave the not build a shelter for them. Leave them alone. They're, right. They're fine. It's freezing outside. They're fine. I'm gonna stage right. a show. <laughs> Which is so like actually, I feel like a very privileged way oh, a of thousand like, percent. You know uh, the bourgeois bohemian like this, this show has been. Co- I don't think it's that bad, but I've heard people call this white privilege the musical. And it has, there are moments in it of like, you know, if you sold all that sound equipment, you could pay for food. Like, right. because they, it's not just they can't pay for rent. They can't pay for anything. They go to the restaurant and they mm-hmm. had a tea and dipped out without paying. The guy tries to throw them out because they're like, and, and they're also that character is a villain. Like the guy runs a restaurant right. in New York. Right. Are you kidding? Like that's the hardest business in the world and he's in the hardest city to run it in and you're squeezing his margins so hard. Right. Can the guy run a restaurant? Please. Like, Which also has a specialty menu on it of like meatless b- meatballs and like all this like. Right. In, right. The, in the Alphabet City. Oh my God. Are you out of your mind? That's These are the right. things you think about when you're 30. Like when right. you're 30 plus, you're like, wait a second. That guy that you're trying to tell me is a villain isn't. And that guy Mm -hmm. you're trying to tell me is a hero? Mm. I've met that person now and they're a dick. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, very egocentric, you know? It's just like, yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how when you get into your 30s, you just start to see things differently. Well, and the fact that Benny was played by, (laughs) by Tay Diggs, Diggs, who's like this incredibly attractive black man who... (laughs) Well, and altruistic, nice, like Such, good oh, yeah. looking, like, but like also seems to be a genuinely nice person. Right. <laughs> and you're just like, I remember being like, really? Benny. I mean, okay. He's the cleanest cut of everybody, you know, shaved head, looking good, big coat. Like you love it. Right. But like, Tay Diggs, yeah. like he's not a, he's not a bad guy. And then he marries Indina Menzel. <laughs> I know. <laughs> In the cast. Oh my gosh. Well, they were married for over a decade. Oh, yeah. So I think that, that, that Yeah, stands, they have sweet you know, little that... children. They still get along, from what I understand. So, yeah, yeah it's released from what they post on Instagram and Twitter. So, like, right. whatever. Like, it, it is what it is. And it's, but he's just not a bad guy. No, I know. My mind is actually kind of being blown right now because I didn't, didn't really think about it prior to like two or three days ago. It's like, wait. And that's, but that's the biggest, that's why I didn't bring it up with the the earlier point, but it is the biggest writing problem with the show. But also what makes it very current, because that was, that was the 90s. Mm-hmm. You should, it's coming, it's mm-hmm. the react, it's coming out of Reaganism into Clintonism and being like, no, I'm a valuable member of society purely based on my beliefs and what I do. And, which is still true. That's the part that is held. But the other part being like, and I should be able to do whatever I want and you shouldn't be able to stop me. Like, I shouldn't have to pay rent because I'm an artist. And it's like, yeah, no. Like, that's something that, like, I think if, if you ask, like, the hippiest, dippiest millennial, mm-hmm. they'd be like, no. Like, you still have to. Like, that's why I live with my folks because I can't do it. But, like, right. you have to do that. Like, that's part of being alive well right and again the expectation of of not having to follow these this set of rules which is different Mm -hmm. you know following this set of rules is different than what we were talking about in rehearsal the other day of politeness yes you know that's a different thing Mm -hmm. like to be respectful yeah and kind of play your part in humanity or you know in community you can't you can't be a dick 
But I think you bring up a good point about being able to absorb the show, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in it, in its entirety when so much is cut out, let's say for uh, in a movie, you know, all the mm-hmm. interim stuff, which is important. It's like Absolutely. connective tissue, you know, yeah. is that. Well, and it, it, but it, it's what keep like for the person who comes off the worst in the movie to me is Mark because they take out all, Mark has all these little tiny side moments mm-hmm. that make him not a jerk the biggest one being in act two halloween which is a song that i uh, another song i adore how did we get here how the hell pen left close on the steeple of the church how did i get here how the hell christmas christmas eve last year how could a night so frozen be so scalding hot how can a morning this mild be so raw why are entire years strewn on the cutting room floor of memory when single frames of one magic night forever flicker in close-up on the 3d IMAX of my mind That's poetic That's pathetic Why did Mimi knock on Roger's door And Collins choose that phone booth Back where Angel set up his drums Why did Maureen's equipment break down Why am I the witness And when I capture it on film Will it mean that it's the end And I'm alone and then Roger dings him on that in the very next song where he's like, Who are you to tell me what I know, what to do? A friend. But who, Mark, are you? Mark has got his work. They say Mark lives for his work. And Mark's in love with his work. Mark hides in his work. From what? From facing your failure, facing your loneliness, facing the fact you live a lie. Yes, you live a lie. Tell you why. You're always preaching not to be numb when that's how you thrive. You pretend to create and observe when you really detach from feeling alive. Perhaps it's because I'm the one of us to survive. Poor baby. We're right in it now. Like you have, you've gotten, you hit Mark accidentally right right where it hurts. In the movie, we don't have Halloween. Mm. So then Roger just calls him a jerk. Right. And he kind of acts, but he still reacts big. And you're like, don't be a child. Boy. Like, what are you talking about? But because the audience doesn't know what Roger doesn't know, which is that accidentally he's hit on the core of it. And that's why Mark's allowed to scream back at him. Because perhaps it's because I'm the one of us to survive. Right. I mean, that's just the worst thing anybody can say. In the stage musical, you get it. In the movie, you don't. Right. It just feels like him being a petulant child. Mm-hmm. And then all those other scenes earlier, like him filming a homeless person. Right feel exploitive they feel like he's just captain white privilege like i say right and while there is that aspect of his character in the stage show Mm -hmm. it is a little bit more you get where he's from you get what's going on you get how he wound up here and what he who he wants to be right and you don't get that as much do you get it all do you get any of the voicemail stuff you know from his parents Mm -hmm. in the movie you do 
which is kind of another problem with the show uh-huh. for me is the fact that they're still in like ex all of them on great all of them are on great terms with their parents right. <laughs> like, who all could be sending them the, money or at least mm-hmm. you but you at least get the sense they could all move home right and i know a lot of people who are okay now but for chunks of time were not because yeah. they literally had nowhere and were doing what we do yep and had nowhere to go yeah Oh, like yeah. literally had nowhere to go, which is not my experience. And is a terrifying experience. Like when I've had people tell me that, it scares the crap out of me. It, yeah. It's just like, I cannot imagine that. Yeah. That is a that is a, a loneliness, but also a bravery that I cannot comprehend. Yeah. I remember, um, I, so I lived in New York for about nine years. And I was in, first I was in Alphabet City, Lower mm-hmm. East Side. Then I was in true Lower East Side. And then I moved out to Brooklyn. And at one point, I was living with a young woman who owned the apartment, so I was paying oh, wow. very little rent, sure. and that was the only way I could do it. In Brooklyn? Or? In Brooklyn okay. and in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. I'm, I met her at a restaurant that we worked at, and at one point, her, her boyfriend moved in with us, and I decided to move out because that relationship yeah. became like a little too much, and I moved into my studio, which was probably 400 square feet in this huge um, industrial size building in Brooklyn, no heat, you know, oh, I, wow. I just, I was, I was living there illegally. Oh, okay. Um, so it was, a, it was, it was a studio, yeah, not it, a studio apartment. I got you. Okay. Right. It was mm-hmm. as big as this room. Right. Sure. Um, high ceilings, t- cement. So it was cold, you know, and I remember I would run my heaters in the winter and I would blow the electricity sure. just all the time. And at one point, I, I a friend of mine, a writing partner died from a cocaine-induced heart attack, and I decided that it was time for me to leave New York. And so I went to Southeast Asia, as would be the natural, like you, do, right. you know. Uh, and and I ended pretty up much traveling. as far away from New York yeah. as you can get. Yeah, yep. which is usually how I tend to to make my decisions, just the sure. farthest point away. Sure. Uh, but I traveled for a while, learned a lot, did a lot of stuff. But when I came back to the states, I I didn't have anywhere to go. I didn't have any money. I wasn't ready to go back to New York and be in a position where I was living on people's couches. And so I went home and I moved in with mm-hmm. my with my dad, who I hadn't lived with for 15 years. Um, and I was turned 30, you know, in my dad's house. <laughs> and uh, I'm not, a, you know, a, a bohemian artist. I would say that I'm definitely more more privileged. But I, I know where I come from. Right. And I... I do what's necessary. It's just interesting that this this comes up as people who who do choose to kind of live off of others rather than I don't know going back to well doing having what they need the, to it's do. it's a thing that actually while the convention of the voicemails is fantastic like from a, from a structural standpoint and from a musical standpoint yeah. I think they're very yeah, very I, interesting I think they're interesting and like the the sing songiness of them is really great and yeah. all the characters have their own little I mean little refrain it's fantastic. But it unintentionally takes away a lot of the stakes for Roger and Mark to me, uh-huh. where there is a safety That's net true. underneath both of them. They're just ignoring it. Their right. parents are also lovely people. Right. Like, they're not nagging. They're not screaming and crying and being like, why don't you ever come home? Are you okay? They're just like, how are you? Like, pick up the phone. Yeah. That'd be nice if you pick up the phone. Right. It'd be great. Um, the best parents for me are joanne's parents well joanne we're off 
I tried you at the office, and they said you're stage managing or something. Remind her that those unwed mothers in Harlem need her legal help, too. Call Daisy for our itinerary, or Alfred at Pound Ridge, or Eileen at the State Department in a pinch. We'll be at the spa for New Year's. Unless the senator changes his mind. The hearings? Oh, yes, kitten. Mummy's confirmation hearings begin on the 10th. We'll need you alone by the 6th. Harold! You hear that? It's three weeks away, and she's already nervous. I am not. For mummy's sake, kitten, no Doc Martens this time. And wear a dress. Oh, and kitten, have a merry... And a and they're, they nag on her in all the appropriate ways. Right. Where they're just like, please come alone. Don't, Don't. wear Doc Martens. Like, you know you're not supposed to do that. Because right. Joanne, as the most adult member of the group, right, uh, does have the best, and has a real job, does mm-hmm. have the best understanding of, like, the circumstance and, and her responsibility. But she is also fighting back by, like, no, I'm bringing my girlfriend to this thing. She's part of my life, and I'm going to wear whatever damn shoes I want because if a guy wore these shoes, nobody would care. Yeah. Here I come. Like, you know, that's what it is. Right. And I, uh, I, that's an appropriate, like, my parents love me, and they accept me as much as, like, they accept who I am. They just wish I dressed normal and don't bring my girlfriend places. It's a very 90s, like, accepting how I accept my gay child vibe. Right. And she's just, like, very politely... No. And I get the feeling that her parents are like, fine. Like, I kind of wish you wouldn't, but fine. Like, they're not, it's not going to blow up. You know right. what I mean? Whereas, like, you know, Mark seems to hate his mom, and I don't know why. <laughs> right. It's because he doesn't like being Jewish. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I, I'm Jewish, so. <laughs> I mean,. It's as good a reason as any. I don't like it, we because we don't know. We, we really do not know. No, you're we right. We have no idea what his problem is with his mother. You're except right. I, as a 16 related year old, related to it because I didn't want my mother calling me from downstairs to tell me what to do. Like that's what it feels like to me. It right. feels petulant. Petulant. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he's like he's in his 20s. Right. You don't have to talk to your mom all the time, but she's not doing it like he, right. She's but respect, treated, respect yeah. your mom, and she's treated like. Like, uh, like if she was bad to him, if she was calling and screaming on the phone, mm-hmm. if the phone calls were really about, I can't go back there. Like, they know where I am. Yeah. And I can't, cl- like, don't you see uh-huh. how much I can't go back there? But, like, there's they no saw communication. Her, yeah. And they saw his stuff on the news and they call and are like, hey. <laughs> and you're just like, that's so sweet. And he's like, <laughs> you know, like, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like you said, I mean, he's in his 20s. Yeah. And we've already discussed like how different you are in your 20s. True to your, your 30s, 30s. You know, so maybe Mark grows up a little bit once he gets into Let's all 30s. hope. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a show that I, I, I don't. I don't want to be someone who hates rent because I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't want that label. And I did when you told me this. I was like, oh, the last time I spent the whole time bashing it, I went, crap. Like, we may have. And I like, because there are problems. Yeah. But it's still a show I listen to. Like, well, it's, if it comes up on the shuffle, I'm not, probably, depending on the song, I'm not skipping it. You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm not like, oh, crap, not rent. Why do I own that? I'm like, no, right. like, yeah. It's just, it's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, 
I bet that most of the people you love also have problems or issues or things, little things that maybe you don't like so oh, sure. much, you know, and but you still Sure. Still gonna, I still love those people. Those are people. Them. Like they're not <laughs> <laughs> People. People. Plays. Oh, I'm a dad. My my kids hate me, you know, like a lot of the time. <laughs> or or cause me problems. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I love them deeply, but you know, yeah. daddy needs a break. But Yes, I can hold those two thoughts in my head at the right. same time. I can recognize something's flawed and still love it. Right. It is really, I think, though, part of the problem of, I think, people get embarrassed hmm. by how we loved this show. I mean, we theater people, we hmm. all loved this show. Yeah. This show was the answer. Yeah. And it wasn't. It wasn't. And the thing is, it wasn't even close to the answer. But just in the same way that, like, the 90s weren't the answer. Just like how the 60s weren't the answer. You know what I mean? Like it, right. it's very much hair to me. I, uh. I feel a very big kinship between Rent and Hair. Uh. Not just because they're both rock musicals with one word titles with four letters, but because it is it is a very, very honest time capsule of a, of a period. My problems with hair as I get older are always in how it's staged, not in the writing. But Rent, all of my problems seem to come out mm. in the writing and not in how it's produced. It's always produced with some variation of the original production and that feels very honest to me of the, the scaffolding and the mics and the, you know, all the, right. like, it's the 90s. That's the fog what, and the, yeah. It's what we were into, for, yeah. you know, if anyone wants, it, it is a rig show, like what was the 90s like here? That, listen to that, <laughs> think mm. about that, uh, analyze that. And we'll come back and talk to it later. Um, it's not an like as I say, I don't mean that in like it won't give you the whole decade, but it gives you a sense of what was being marketed in the decade of mm -hmm. like this is this is the a capsule of that. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting point though that that it seemed to give you answers. You know, it seemed to be the answer mm -hmm. and how it was. It also comes it 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 like a lot of shows that are huge. It came. After a uh, out of the out of the darkness, like mm -hmm. there was a period Broadway was entering into these things only go on for like one or two years when you like line them up. But there's always these periods where like nothing good is playing. Mm -hmm. And the year before. Yes, I know people. The year before Sunset Boulevard won Best Musical. It had no at the Tonys, which is whatever, but it had no competition in the best original score category. Mm -hmm. And, which to me means you shouldn't give the award, but, um, again, it's an award. The uh, But, like, we were lost mm. a little bit. Like, and, you know, Stephen Sondheim's last, basically last musical, though he has a new one coming out now, had opened in 94 and hadn't done very well. And, like, Big the Musical was a thing. And, like, the, the movie musical, the movie, musicals based on movies thing was really starting to kick off. Mm -hmm. And... Out of all that comes a fully original, I mean, based on Puccini, but whatever, original musical that gets plopped down in the middle by a new artist. It's contemporary. It's different. Right. It's, it's, it's everything. And, and honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, it felt very honest in, in its simple, its portrayal of characters who were gay, characters who had AIDS, were just on stage being people. Mm -hmm. And only one of them dies. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really the thing of like, if you had a character in a movie in the 90s who had AIDS, that character was not going to make it. 
that was that was the point. Mm-hmm. Like that was the whole thing. They're right. gonna die. Right. And in this show, Angel dies, and she dies like that. Uh, yeah. It is just. It's another problem with the movie where she has like a protracted illness. She like fades away. In the musical, I mean, it's this wonderfully weird sex scene, which is not a song I listen to a lot, but I respect as a like in the show. It's, uh-huh. the, it's place in the show. And like, and everybody breaks up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Angel dies, yeah, and is just dead. Mm-hmm. And you just—I remember listening to that on the recording and like backing up because I kind of contact is all that weird stuff, so I kind of got lost in it. I was like, I don't know. and then when he says it's over, and then starts singing the reprise of "I'll Cover You," yeah, which is beautiful. I was just like looking at the booklet, being like, "What happened? Like, why? What do you mean Angel died? Like, what do you like? What do you mean?" And it's yeah. so that feels that feels very honest to me. Of like, and one day she's just dead. Right. And it's this real like, well, crap. Like, yeah. <laughs> now we have now there are four characters. Like, there used to be no, no, there were four. Now there are three characters with AIDS in this show, and you're just like, mm-hmm. oh my god, that is, yeah, intense. Well, an angel was such a, for me, like such a ray of light. Mm-hmm. You know, for for them, for their group, for the. The in the show, but all, yeah, it, it, yes, uh, obviously the sort of pure, the pure spirit right. who kills a dog. Who kills Can a dog? Can we spend a minute I on the fact that Angel that. Ki- You love that she I kills do. a dog? I do because it's a yappy dog. Okay. Okay. She kills a dog. <laughs> okay, she doesn't kill it though. She oh, plays now, oh. music until the dog jumps out of the window. The dog did that to itself. <laughs> Right? Isn't that what happened? Do I... I'm you're no, you're a hundred percent right. I I am loving your defiance though in defense of this bonkers piece of writing that she kills a dog. Robin, she kills a dog. Okay, all right. Maybe you I haven't thought about that fully. I mean, even if you're not a dog person. I am. I love dogs. She kills a dog. It also it's so funny in the show how it kind of gets glossed over in the middle of today for you tomorrow for me. You're just like it's like so well, the song you're like, you're bopping along, like, this is great. And then later they're like Wait a minute! Did she kill the dog? Is that what? I, well, never mind. Hang on. Yeah. There's another song going on. Never and, mind. And gets paid a thousand dollars. Gets paid a thousand dollars to kill a dog. It was a hit. Yes. And then it was Benny's dog. That is a nice oh, joke. Oh my gosh. That's, that's a really right. nice joke. That it's Benny's dog. Oh. That that is a nice joke. But it is such an intense. But like in in that scene, it's a joke. There's no moment of like, oh, it was no, you're Benny's right. Benny's dog. Like it was you're a right. dog. Ooh. Mm-hmm. An Akita named Evita, which is pretty great. Oh, yeah. But like. Akitas are also not tiny dogs. Like they're sizable dogs. If I'm remembering this, I'm gonna look this up real fast. I might cut this out if I'm wrong. Oh. Yeah, Akitas are like. Oh. It's not like a Chihuahua. Like oh, it's a serious. That's a really cute dog. Yeah. This is a yeah. really cute dog. She killed this okay. dog. <laughs> the dog. She is the jumped out of the window. She is our literal angel in the show, and she killed the dog. Death. And she killed the dog. That's her. That's our meat cute with angel. She killed a dog. <laughs> it isn't really, but yeah, okay. But all that, like, forget it. Whatever. Yes. She kills a dog. It's super glossed over, so we're gonna gloss over yes. it. Yes. But no. she is, other than the moment of killing the dog. You're right. She is the honest. She's the embodiment of love in the show. She is the like. No, no. When Roger like won't come. Yeah. And she says, no, he'll catch just, up later. Yeah. He just has other things on his mind. Like, don't don't just hassle. Acceptance. Him. Let him live his life. We're living our lives. He does his thing. Mm-hmm. He's not hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. He'll figure it out. And then he does. She's right. He shows up. Mm-hmm. She's always right. Right. Which is why she has to be killed so that like the show can progress. Yeah. <laughs> like they have to lose <laughs> they have to lose their 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 source of light. Uh <laughs> she's a dog. 
She kills a dog. And she says that dog is now in doggy hell. Doggy hell. <laughs> Remorselessly kills a dog. Buys herself a Santa I mean, Claus outfit. By his, buys Collins a coat. His, not his own coat. That's right. Buys him a leather jacket. Yeah. And takes them all out to eat. I mean, it's fantastic. It's great. Right. But, you know, she kills a dog. Okay. That's dog blood money she's spending on yep. that they're throwing and around she loves in, the, it. in the cafe. No, and then so how do you oh. feel about like Mimi dying and then coming back to life? I think life? it's crap. Like, I think that, it's yeah, absolute crap. Yeah, that definitely. Well, it's crap for two reasons. One, because it's schlocky. Yeah. But two, mm. it has, this is, this is a valuable thing this show taught me um, by accident was the issue of presenting art in in a piece of art. Mm-hmm. We spend the whole show, Roger's arc is he can't write a song in a musical, which is pretty tough. He then writes his song, and it is, I believe, the worst song in the show. Agreed, actually. Objectively, right? <laughs> yeah. But... It's the song we've been waiting to hear. So how right. I don't know any song that's going to be that's going to f- live up to that moment. That's what I live. Sure. Is the thing if you spend two hours saying this is going to be great, this Ugh. is going to be great, it, it, you're you're shooting yourself in the foot. It's never going to be as good as I want it to be. Mm-hmm. Especially when Rogers already sung one song, Glory, which Hate It or Love It is a much better song than Your Eyes, um, yeah. and is a song that I have like deleted from my like playlist. Yeah. It's like Your Eyes is an awful song, and. So that's one thing as a writer. I remember that moment being like, oh, that's bad. Like, that's, yeah. that's a problem. And I don't know that any amount of, like, rewriting would have fixed it because that has to be his story. As a musician character, right. he's writer's but He has to write a song. He may have written a better song, mm-hmm. but it would still not have been as good as anything we would have wanted in that Sure, moment. which is, yeah. yeah, always the case with which expectations. Is, but yeah, Mimi coming back to life is a cheat. It's, yeah, it's a total know. cheat. In fact, especially the fact that she's dead, like it, 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 like she's clearly dead on stage and is resurrected. If it was just like she's fading, and he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna sing this song," because like, what else can I do? And she like wakes up, but no, she was dead. She was dead. Yeah. And then she had the dream, right, where she yeah, she jumped over the moon with Angel. <laughs> I think the silence says a lot, but that look was fantastic. <laughs> Just processing. Yeah. And then the show is over. Yeah. Like that's the other thing is there's no there's no denouement. The show just ends. They sing no day but today and the show's mm. over. Oh. And show. Yep. Yep. Just wrap it up. Just nice and tight. Which is also, I think, one of the reasons though it's explosive because like that is an apex emotional moment. Like mm-hmm. the audience is on their feet. Mm-hmm. And like you so no, like we're done. Shut it down. Like we can't go if we if we if we think about this for too long, it's not gonna make any sense. Right. So let's just shut the show down right here. End of show. It's been two hours and forty five minutes. Dang. We're good. Yeah. Was it that long? It, it, uh, not that's probably not. But well, with well, the C- it's two two big CDs. I mean, those CDs are yeah, they are packed, which is something I love about it. Like Act Two of this show, just like Hamilton, just like a lot of great shows, is just as rich as Act One. Act Two has great songs, has great moments has you know and stuff happens it's not just like and now we're all done it's not like an hour and a half and then right. 15 minutes and then 45 minutes like it is it is equally loaded on both both sides what's your favorite song it's it is it's i'll cover you the reprise i've longed to discover something as
melody happening and and how it's still like hopeful. Mm-hmm. But he's saying goodbye in a way. I feel like he's never gonna forget her. Yeah, it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I love reprises that are different songs. Well, that's the same song, right? Obviously, but it's a whole different arrangement. It's a whole different style. It's a whole different tempo. You know, I'll cover you is this boppy little '90s yeah. love song, and then like suddenly we're in this gospel yeah choir dirge and it's the same song it's just the music is different mm. and it's a whole different song <laughs> thank you robin thank you Patrick. this was fun this is good i hope people don't think i hate rent um you're in sheila and moby right now yeah what are you doing where can people find you to find out about what's going on RobinRacoon.com. oh man i gotta get on that do you not have robin i do i own yeah, it but nothing exists oh I don't think. Okay, well, this will be aspirational. Yes, RobinRacoon.com. By the time this comes up, there'll be a splash page or something. Or Facebook or... Robin with a Y. Yes. R-I-K-O-O-N. I'm going to Robin Raccoon right now. Right now. Oh, perfect. Just to see what it is. Okay, yeah. There'll be, there'll be at least a picture of Robin on this page <laughs> instead of Russian, Russian text. <laughs> oh, yes. In the future, there will be. Um, Robin with a Y... R-I-K-O-O-N dot com. Go there right now. There's something there. <laughs> um, and on social media, are you, you're around, right? I, I'm, I'm kind of in the shadows, but okay. I'm, you know, I'm peeking into where, the light more at? and more. Just uh, on Instagram. Sure. And Facebook right now. At, search your name and it'll, yep, it'll pop right just up. my name. Fantastic. Um, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You nailed the self-promotion part of this wow. podcast. Very nicely done. Wow. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts from the convenience of your iPhone and or check out the original cast on Stitcher if that's how you get down. My thanks to Robin Raccoon for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Oh.